Tarth, do me a favor. What have you consumed most recently? Go. The age-old question. The internet is begging for answers. I myself made a salad my mother made me. So you didn't make it at all. It sounds like your mother made it for you. I, I often have my mommy make me food. Um, then why'd you try to take credit? I, I feel like I was pretty transparent. I said my mom made it for me. You said, I made a salad my mom made for me. Oh, I meant to say eight then. Oh, this is so... Then I sound like an asshole. Th that's exactly what I'm pointing out to the world. Thank you. Well, Trent, since you're so quick to judge, what did you eat? You know, as far as I actually prepared my own meal. Um, did you? Because I'm a competent human adult person. Uh, so, Thank you. you know, just blended up a little, little nutritious smoothie to. Uh, What's in it? To keep the scurvy at bay. Just a bunch of vitamin C, nutrients, vitamins. You just have a lot of lemon juice? It was like 99% lemon juice. and um, Tastes good? It, I guess it, I guess I just drank lemonade is what I'm getting at. But then also there was um, toast had butter. To I guess it was first it was bread and then I toasted it. Then it was toast and then I buttered it and then it was buttered toast and then I ate it. Um, so that sounds delicious. So that's enough of that. On to the next segment. I'd like to welcome our audience to Craft Services. That's the name of the show. We're, we're, we're a new podcast talking about movies and things. So our first adventure, for our first digital triumph is going to be the, uh, the three most recent Star Wars movies. Well, I guess not most recent, but the newest trilogy. Being... The, the newest saga films, the most recent saga films. Excuse me, I didn't want the, uh, the canon nerds to come after me. But it's going to be Force Awakens this week, and then, you know, immediately followed by Last Jedi, and then surprise, surprise, Rise of Skywalker. Yep. And um, we're going to share our opinions, and uh, there will be other elements to the show. There will be guests. There will be interviews. We're going to try to have some fun and keep you thoroughly entertained. For our first episode, it's just going to be my, my big pal, Trent. Al Gayer, that's and me, I. and you, uh, Parth Marate. Uh, Parth Mar well, thank you. Co-hosts. Co uh, isn't that isn't that beautiful? We're gonna try to contribute equally, and uh, if one person's if they're if a power imbalance pops up, we'll try to correct it immediately. This relationship needs to be steady, because if Parth and I get divorced, the podcast is over. And you may not know how the Star Wars saga completes, so it, this is all on you, people. We, well, we know basically we know the audience does is looking to our opinion to see whether or not they should check these films out. Well, they haven't even heard of Star Wars yet. This is their first sneak preview. Wow, I I feel honored to be completely honest. Um, yeah, I don't know how they haven't um, caught wind of it yet. As far as I know, it's kind of been like a pop culture sensation. But um, the I just got fifty years. Um, yeah, yeah. The reports are coming in that um, one hundred percent of our audience is completely unfamiliar to the franchise. So it's our unique opportunity and privilege 
to guide them down uh, this galactic journey? Um, well, I, I've been a lifelong Star Wars fan. Since um, the beginning of your life. Since conception. Since, since, since you were erected out of the test tube that uh, created you. Right. Um, Breaking news, Parth is a test tube baby. Concoct well, I'm not going to confirm or deny that. Con um, he was concocted in a lab off the... Uh, in my mom's going to be listening to this. You know that, right? Well, your quote-unquote mom. <laughs> That that's what she tells you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You were specifically placed with parents who kind of resemble you physically, just to uh, make it that much more convincing. Mm -hmm. But it, if they were gonna create like a mutant such as yourself with like such powers and capabilities, then it would have to be. It couldn't be natural. It, like they selected your your strains of DNA like handpicked. It was a very meticulous process to uh, birth the second coming. Of let's not do, get do let, we, let, do let, we know who let's not get into who I am. Let's not get into that. Let's just mm. Parth quit. Get back on track. Just tell I'm sorry. Tell that the people was, about your relationship with Star. That Wars. was my fault. Um, well, I, I suppose I I've always enjoyed the original trilogy. Um, classics um and when i was very little i enjoyed the prequel trilogy because it had lots of flashing colors then i grew a little older and then i bought into the like hate machine that exists for the prequel trilogy and now i guess i would say that i i think there there's a lot of potential there that was missed but i don't hate them I'm, i've made my peace with them my earliest memory in my life is seeing Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith in theaters in 2005. So I guess the first four years of my life are a complete blur, but that's where I really started paying attention. But from that point, I uh, guess I was introduced to the original movies and uh, What's Not to Like, and then revisited the prequel trilogy, and like Parth said, I enjoyed the explosions and this CGI madness. Um, and yes, although I haven't viewed them in like at least five years, it's so easy to say that you hate the prequels because there's such a burden to go back and watch in order to change your opinion. But I feel like the universal, the, 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 most people feel that Revenge of the Sith is the saving grace um, yet, Phant Phantom Menace, people argue, is uh, completely negligible, and then Attack of the Clones is just objectively bad, and I'd say most people think is the worst. But more, more importantly, uh, the new movies, upon them coming out, I like wanted to hate them, uh, just to be like a loyalist to the originals. But I really. Because of course, of course, I'm gonna go opening night, and I'm gonna pay my sixteen dollars to see it, um, like opening weekend. But I, and and of course, I'm gonna have fun. And I'm gonna buy my popcorn. But um, I think part of, of, especially since it was acquired by Disney, and we're supposed to hate Disney for being rich and powerful. You would think that they would 
corrupt the once sacred Star Wars, and maybe I've closed my mind off to them actually like honoring and loving the source material. But I had I, I had a very different experience. I mean, I I, w- I I think I was skeptical, but once the marketing came out, I was I was pretty on board with it from the get go. I think the the Force Awakens definitely stimulated me for what it's worth and then the last jedi was the first movie where i walked away and i was like utter like i don't want to say like repulsed but definitely like unhappy and maybe i was just a teen a teenager and i was trying to um like go against the current um because my, my whole family was like oh what a what a joyous joy ride and i was just trying to be up in arms about things not making sense and acting like I knew more than the average bear. And it was my additional insight that allowed me to see past like the, 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 the Disney gaze. Um, and, but, but we'll, we'll save that for next week. And then rise of Skywalker, I think is still, um, just about three hours of, um, of stuff I saw three times in theaters and still don't fully comprehend. Um, so Wait, you saw the Rise of Skywalker three times because the first two times I went to see it, I fell asleep and I woke up during <laughs> the credits, and, and so I would have to pay additional installments to go back and like fill in the gaps. So after the after after the first two times of seeing the movie already investing upwards of thirty dollars i didn't know that i didn't know some of the essential spoilers so upon take three it was really uh surprising all the things that i had missed but um i I guess i guess we should uh since our audience is uh made up 100 percent of people that have no clue what star wars is i guess i should give uh the synopsis you make a good point. Yeah, read read the plot summary. So this is this is straight from IMDb. Way to cite uh, your sources, Parth. You wouldn't want them I, coming I after us. I don't want to be accused of plagiarism. Um, we don't. I know this podcast has a lot of capital and resources, but we can't take a lawsuit right now. It's it's true. Um, these are hard times, hard economic times, and what the world needs right now, though, is another podcast about Star Wars. Um, so straight from IMDb. As a new threat to the galaxy rises, Rey, a desert scavenger, and Finn, an ex-stormtrooper, must join Han Solo and Chewbacca to search for the one hope of restoring peace. It's a it's a very succinct one-sentence uh, summary. They exclude Poe entirely, even though he's, you know, one of the main characters. Well, we, we both watched this movie. I watched it last night. Um, I watched friends. it this morning. Sorry, Parth okay um and so we we both took notes and we have our thoughts so so trent what would you say uh, like what what numbered viewing would you say this is for you of this movie i I, i've seen it at least five times at this point but i watched it with subtitles this time around which was a first and i have to say i actually appreciated it more and i thought that like this the screenwriting was like very quick and witty which was an acclimate i had been resisting awarding the movie but i think it's inevitable and i finally have to 
concede to its success because, um, it, I mean, just for starters, uh, do you know the first line where Star Wars reveals that it's comedic now, where Poe and and Kylo are staring at each other and they're like, "Oh, who who talks now? Ha ha!" Right? I mean, I didn't I didn't mind that because, I mean, I uh, uh, spoilers. I, I took a look at Trent's notes. Um, I'm mm. cheating. And I apologize, but um, you and a lot of other people say that that's kind of Disney trying to be Marvel, movie. more like Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I kind of have to disagree because. All right, Par- Parth, state your counter argument if you're going to walk all over me. I, get <laughs> just get it over with. Like the the reason I have an issue with the Marvel movies humor is because and the marvel movies only become the way we associate like oh well they're jokey and funny they only really become like that in the avengers um like iron man one and two are probably the most like jokey of them all before that but it's still the the reason it works in the avengers is that it's all character-based humor um and and it's it's not just like people randomly making jokes which is People took the humor from the Avengers and decided it would be a good idea to apply it to every character. Um, and so that's when you get the Marvel movies. And I don't really have a problem with most of the humor in this because it all feels like like Poe saying, who talks first, me or you, that all feels very um, in in character for him because he's, he's very sarcastic. Quickly. He's supposed to be that way. And you don't you don't really hear like Ray, or or like you don't hear Leia or something like like all each person's humor feels very attuned to them. Yeah, but I I definitely think that this movie is trying to be funny more. It's it's definitely the most comedy oriented Star Wars movie. I wouldn't say I would say it's like hitherto it's the most. It's one searching for the most laughs because I think the originals are funny in like a subtle way that don't draw attention to themselves. And then the prequels bring in like Jar Jar Banks for comic relief, which was um, unsuccessful. But I, I do think that this strikes like a balance. Like I think BBA is great comic relief. And I think that there are a lot of good moments that I was trying to contain myself, but uh, I, I had the chuckle. Disney earned it. So, so, so you say you don't have an issue with the humor? I, I really wanted to hold a grudge against it because uh, an argument I've heard, uh, you know, via many YouTube conspiracy is that, like, the Marvel Universe is somewhat like an absurd idea, being that it's superheroes walking around New York City, and we, you know, New York City isn't like that. So it, it it calls attention to itself. It's not so. It's not meant to be like they they make a point of saying, "Isn't this wacky?" Like it's not as opposed to Star Wars, where the world is wacky and everybody kind of knows that. Yeah, I just think in uh, with, with superheroes, you, there's already a suspension of disbelief, um, and so it's like satirical that they're like. that they're acknowledging like the inherent stupidity of it but star wars like it's a drama that takes place in space and they there's no reason for it to be stupid um but i mean i i I 
I know. I, I feel I, like I think that argument could be made if it wasn't done as well as it was. Um. Yeah. Although I would like, like the original trilogy is not even the original trilogy has its fair share of stupid humor. Like it's not like it doesn't even even Empire takes doesn't take itself that seriously. Like it takes what I think it does is it strikes a correct tonal balance by saying by basically having all of the character stuff that remains serious because that's what you're supposed to take seriously. But they do have like all sorts of I mean, there's a whole like subplot about like C3PO getting torn apart and then like and then Chewbacca like puts him on backwards and shit. So it's like it's it's not like it's it's devoid of stupid humor. It just knows when and how to apply it, which I think Force Awakens it does it more, but I think it's still it doesn't it doesn't take away from the seriousness or the gravity of the situation. I think maybe I'm just blind to the comedy of I like the 70s and 80s movies because the jokes are like of their time, so I don't really recognize them. But like the jokes in in this are like so 2015. It, it feels it feels a lot more modern in, which I I guess for like the whole the whole movie feels more modern. Well, yeah, just like the like the language the characters use is even though it's like only 30 years since the end of Re- Return of the Jedi it's updated itself to take place in our version of modern day which i guess makes sense i'm i'm okay with it i mean i'm i'm fine with that the the, the only reason the original trilogy people talk the way they do is because of george lucas and he can't write convincing dialogue Mm. so i'm fine with people sounding like real people uh i'm confused about the first order like in the title crawl it says that they've risen from the ashes of the empire great but i'm wondering like how like what was like like that's that's an issue i had when i was watching it this time because i i was a huge fan of this movie like at a certain point i'll say this was my favorite star wars movie bold um and it's not anymore but it's like third um but like Watching it this time, I just felt like the not that it like really matters for the journey of the characters and things, but like the whole idea that there is a republic, but then there's also the first order, but then there's also the resistance, which is secretly being fueled by the republic. So it's it's all very confusing, and the so whole many, scene so many where, moving parts. Yeah, and the, the the scene where the first order destroys the republic doesn't. It's it's a well shot. It's a well made scene. Is but that it is that where is that where they blow up the five planets at once? Yeah, like like it just doesn't have much impact because we don't understand what that changes really. Were those just like the Republic? They were all contained to those to that one like system, which were conveniently nearby each other. I'm I'm gonna attribute that to J.J. Abrams writing. I had no idea with that. I thought that they were just blowing up five planets, much like an Alderaan, to like set an example. But I thought that it was pointless for that. Like they could have exploited like the resources and like the people on those planets, or like turn them to their side. But if you just like obliterate them, and also if you're gonna like set a precedent, like disobey us, and we'll blow you up, then like why waste an additional four planets that you could use to your own benefit? 
because like it, I, I agree, but it also ultimately I feel like it doesn't matter. But oh, oh here, okay, at this point in the movie where they blow up those planets, the resistance has the star map, so there's no reason why the first order shouldn't go like, hey. Uh, if you don't give that to us, we're going to blow up these five planets. And then I feel like the Resistance would be hard-pressed to not agree with that ultimatum. Um, and then and then the movie is just over. So I feel like that is like a lapse in logic. Uh, there's lots of lapses in logic and convenience. I mean, like, this is, for a J.J. Abrams movie, um, I feel like this has the least amount of like blatant like plot holes, I guess, like or plot holes and plot conveniences. Um, I'm 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 okay with not knowing. I would prefer if I didn't, but I'm okay with not really understanding how the politics of everything works because it's pretty clear that J.J. Abrams doesn't really give a shit about how the politics of this stuff works because what's important is the characters and all you need really is the compression force of the first order and that's basically you know that's the enemy and so i'm okay with him simplifying things down and not trying to like well realistically if you wanted to create like have, have be be more mighty you would want to take over those planets and um, strip them of their resources and i'm okay with him saying they they just want to use Starkiller base as a as a blunt force instrument and just destroy planets. I mean it's pretty you could make the same case for you really could make the same case for the original Star Wars. In what regard? Like why would you blow up Alderaan? To show Princess Leia that you're not playing around. But I mean that's also, what they're that doing was, that here was too. testing it out. They didn't even know if it worked yet. I suppose, but then, but then you, but like the whole point of making the the Star Killer base or the Death Star, like it, what, the whole intimidation factor. Yeah, I mean, like I'm fine with it being used. I'm, I'm okay with it. Like I, I don't really have an issue with it. The only issue I have is that that scene is supposed to be emotional and mean something, and Finn yells like. They destroyed the Republic. It's all gone. But you don't even like, know like what the Republic is or why we should. We yeah, we don't. The, the, the only re, uh, the only problem I have with it is that it doesn't mean anything because it's never fully explained to us. Well, I guess you're just left to assume that the Republic from the prequel trilogy that had been toppled ha- has now been restored, and it's just like the the democratic galactic government and they and then they're solely opposed by the first order but i'm wondering like what was the refractory period between the empire and the first order because and i i it's 30 years the movie takes place 30 years afterwards well no i understand that but it's like how long after having after like having your second Death Star blow blown up, are you like, all right, like let's try this a third time? That, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, how uh, when did they decide to start recruiting like real human babies for uh, for their stormtroopers rather than the clone technique from prior? Well, that happens. 
I mean, that happens between the prequel trilogy and original trilogy. What? What? Yeah. When? Who who mentioned well, that? Well, it's. I mean, no one told me. I, well, I mean, if that's an issue you have, then that's not really an issue that with the like Force Awakens because that what what basically happens is that I guess George because you you mentioned the Clone Wars in Episode Four, right? Yeah, he was like, "Well, I should have a clone army in my prequel trilogy, explaining everything." So you're saying that they only ha- like they were only identical like genetic replicas because. George Lucas had that one like throwaway throwaway line of dialogue. Absolutely, because and then also like in, I'm not sure which of it is canon and which of it isn't, but it's supposed to be that in like extended universe shit, like that they stop using clones, um, between between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy because, um, what's it called? Like, if you look at the original trilogy, they're all different heights. They all have different voices. Like it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense for them to not be, correct, like normal people. But so I, 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 feel, I don't have an issue. I feel like calling them the clone army, like you really could have gotten away with like a looser definition of the word clone. He didn't really have to like lean into this mistake so much. Is I feel like it, like it confuses. No, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't even a mistake. It was literally just in one line. Luke talks about how. Oh, you were there for the Clone Wars, and then George Lucas decided to take that one line and extrapolate it into this entire plot of the second prequel. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, uh, another thing I thought was silly. Uh, this literally the second shot of the movie where there's the troop transport going to Jakku with all the stormtroopers on board. Uh, is that the electricity is flickering, and also the ride is very bumpy. Meanwhile, space has no terrain, which I thought was uh, silly. I feel like it doesn't matter. You're, it's, 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 it's done you're, for... You're just willing to look past these gaping holes. Here's the thing. J.J. J. Abrams has a penchant for doing things that don't really make sense because... But what it does do is it allows for visual clarity and or like pacing like 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 to make things better paced and like stuff like that doesn't really bother me because it's not that's done very clearly because the light flickering would be pretty cool and i'm i'm okay with like it being rumbly in the spaceship because they're landing and it's it's supposed to kind of be like troops going into I mean, the, the Stormtrooper is all just very blatantly stolen from World War Two. Yeah, I was just going to say, and, wait. And it's all supposed to be, like, it, tanks going into, like, je- like, like, like in Saving Private Ryan. It's like, it's all, like... The storming of D-Day part. Let's just say it. Yeah. I'm saying J.J. Abrams did not only steal from A New Hope, but he also stole from Saving Private Ryan. And for that... And a hack. For that, he will be punished. Yeah, he has no original ideas. Um, I think Kylo Ren... While, like, at minute seven, it is revealed that he is related to, like, a light side main character. And then about an hour in, he takes his mask off for the first time. And to me, uh, it, it, okay, like, with the original trilogy where it took two full movies to find out where, like, 
oh, like Vader's Luke's father. It just feels like they're they're catering to the fan service like almost immediately. I almost completely disagree. Fine, Parth, take it away. State your mind. The okay. So uh, upon this rewatch of Force Awakens, I feel like it's it kind of gets taken further with Last Jedi, but but like it's kind of a meta commentary on Star Wars itself in that like the the whole point of of The Force Awakens is that it was supposed to basically reunite fans after the prequels were so wildly different from the original trilogy and they basically wanted something safe that could unite the fan base. And boy was and, this safe. And this is safe, but but other than Starkiller Base, I'm okay with it reusing the same plot beats as A New Hope because it's not like trying to hide like people treat it like it's a gotcha, but it's 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 not like they ever tried to hide that it was pretty much the same thing as A New Hope. The idea is that it's all being used as a structure so that you have a vehicle for your new characters to be bounced with, into. With your with the fan favorites, yeah. Yeah. So so the the idea like oh like Luke Skywalker like being a myth, like like and Ray not being really sure what that is and all of that stuff, like I feel like that's a cool way because it, it makes Ray your audience surrogate who's who's sort of been she, she kind of becomes the person that doesn't really know what Star Wars is and doesn't know all of these things. I, I think them not being knowledgeable of the past, though, is just, like, practically, like, fool. Like, it's ridiculous because the entire galaxy is ruled by this, like, like fascist dictator that's blowing up planets and building Death Stars. And then this rebellion comes along like led by like some force users and they like topple the regime and i think that that would like go down in history and everyone would be well but she's she's on jakku which is like a a, a, like a nowhere planet so like i i can buy that she has no clue who who like luke like like i can i can buy that one one scene made me reflect on that in particular where Finn and uh, Han are talking and they're throwing a bunch of space lingo back and forth. And I was like, huh, I know that Finn has been in the First Order's, like, captivity his entire life. So that means he must have been through some sort of, like, education system to be taught, like, how to be a good soldier. And thinking about, like, their evil school system is really funny because it seems like they had like space history and they had like space geography and um all and, and but they but Finn only speaks English while Ray speaks a bunch of other languages so the first order isn't bilingual it is confirmed mm. um what what I was going to say was basically to get back to Kylo Ren sure I th- Kylo Ren is my favorite Star Wars character. I, I, I can't fight you on that, Parth. Elaborate. Tell the audience why. So he, here's the reason why. Because I don't think what they were trying to, what they're trying to do with Kylo Ren is what they're trying to do with Darth Vader. With the whole like meta thing that they're they've kind of done with the Force Awakens, and again further than the Last Jedi, is 
that all of these characters are to varying levels aware of the past. Right? Sure. And so because of that, they the the whole series, I mean, I, I really like the like opening sequence of Ray on Jakku where she's like sitting in the ruins of a Star Destroyer and of an AT-AT. And it, it feels like fan service, but it, it it feeds into this whole idea that they are in the ruins of the previous saga. Mm-hmm. And where do you go from here? And so Kylo Ren, to me, is like, he's interesting because he's kind of an inversion of Darth Vader, of somebody that he, he, he is just a fanboy. If Rey is the surrogate for the normal audience member, Kylo Ren is a surrogate for crazy people that love star wars and he he's not you know darth vader has a mask on because he's like severely like physically damaged whereas but kylo, kylo ren, ren just does it in like nostalgia for his admiration for darth vader exactly. like, like he he so wants to be like darth vader that he he creates this whole masquerade like like i really like the idea that he is not a monster he's just trying to pretend like that and that that kind of the where that point gets supported is like that whole one of the better scenes in the movie is like ray and kylo ren like kylo ren's trying to like use the force and to extract the map from her brain yeah right and and she's like she's fighting him back on that and he's like and she's like oh well you're just scared you're never going to be like darth vader yeah and and like like the tantrums and all of that like i feel like all of that is very cool and it's a way of it's it's kind of a comment on like the rage that like this this sort of mistaken admiration can take you also i think his young behavior is like very reminiscent of like anakin skywalker when he was starting to get exactly when he was like starting to get tempted by the dark side and instead of slaughtering sand people and young padawans he just takes it out on like his desktop and his assistants which is exactly which and is understandable and i i think that it's 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 much more it's, it's a very interesting idea to have somebody that's from that's in the dark side and feels the like the light side calling to them and they want to shut that out and remain in the dark side which is kind of an inversion of darth vader i feel like it's an interesting dynamic and and because of that i feel like it's not fan service in that regard we're trying trying to oh don't you remember when we took the mask off in empire and return of the jedi yeah and i agree that like adam driver is a great actor but it just and I understand that you want to like show that off because he's a lot more emotive when you like you know get to see his face and everything, but it just feels like there wasn't as much of a reveal because like I, I didn't have time to like grow curious as to, like what he like looked like because it was available to me like pretty soon. Uh, be, like if you if I didn't get to see what his fa- face like what he looked like until like the last movie i would have been so curious but n- now it yet yeah. i feel like i don't know what that serves though because that's that's kind of just like it's just a mystery f- 
for no reason. It's a mystery like, for the sake of mystery. Yeah. Like uh, it's, it's it's because like Darth Vader, like what does he look like? But that's not really like something that's part. No, that's not really part of the like. Oh, what is Darth Vader? What is he under the mask? That's not really what any of the movies are about. The fact that we see who he is under the mask is just a byproduct of the story. At least in the original yeah. trilogy, I guess there's no reason to be that curious, like, to wonder about Vader's appearance, because at that point, I don't even think you know he's human until you find out that he's related to another human character. Yeah. Because at that point, he could just be, like, some robotic evil guy. And as far as we know, this galaxy has those. I think that Kylo Ren, like, had to be related to... Yeah, because if just, like, some random new evil guy we've never heard of was now, like, the main antagonist, we'd be like, oh, like, we don't care if this human name, like, Jonathan, like became evil one day and then like started and then became relevant and powerful because because the original fans are like well that's so disjointed like has nothing to do with like the empire but with ray's parents i think the only reason people criticize the trope of this generation being like loosely related to the old generation is because this entire movie is like is like tiptoeing around revealing who uh who Ray's parents are and I largely think that because at this stage in the development they didn't know who they wanted it to be so they just wanted to leave their options open and that's what they did but I don't feel like they I think well obviously J.J. Abrams wanted her to be related to somebody but I I don't I don't know I, I I feel like it's not whether it was the intention of the filmmakers or not, I feel like you gain nothing by making her related to somebody else. Because it doesn't add anything. Unless, like, like Kylo Ren, the reason it works that he's the son of, is, of Leia and Han is that it, that's his primary motivation, is that he is angry at those that raised him. And, and this is his, his way of lashing out. Whereas... Making Rey, whose entire character has basically been created when she wasn't raised by anybody, trying to find, well, who are her parents? I, I don't feel like that's even a question in the movie. It's I, more so, will they come back? It's so infuriating to me, like, watching Rey, like, pass up very, like, tempting opportunities to, like, move forward with her life when she's already been waiting for her parents for like 15 years and i was like right it's time to give up hope they in i mean that's her character arc i mean then she then she called the the lightsaber calls to her and then she goes on to find luke skywalker so do you know how ray keeps a tally chart in her at at of like since her parents left her she doesn't use like she doesn't use the slash every five. I think that every time that I watch it. Yeah, it's infuriating. Like at a glance, there's no way for her to be like, okay, my parents abandoned me this long ago. It, yeah, that th- that's fine though. I'll learn to forgive. Um, this is the first Star Wars movie where you like see characters bleed. 
Is it? I mean, I feel like you see yeah, you see you, you see blood in Empire. Well, you see blood in New Hope when the guy in the cantina gets his arm severed. But in this movie, Kylo Ren gets shot and bleeds and starts punching his wound. Yeah, yeah, he really just like shows it who's boss. Um but in my question is like shouldn't lasers much like lightsabers like immediately cauterize the wound? I guess, but again, like you're willing to look past these these trivialities parts because the point is is that you need a visual way to show he's injured. You need to show that he's injured, but not so injured that he can't like be in combat. And I'm I'm fine with like again, it's it's the thing of like there are people that'll be that there are two types of Star Wars fans in my eyes. There's there's the Star Wars fans that really get into the lore of things, and it really matters to them. Like the spaceships, the like the the types of spaceships. You know, well, what does a lightsaber actually do? How does it function? You know, there's kyber crystals and all of that. And then there's what, and that I think that's mostly like from the prequel trilogy because the prequel trilogy basically just exists to answer questions people had about the original trilogy. Whereas the original trilogy kind of uses spaceships and lightsabers and everything like that. And, and as, just considered a, accepted. Well, it's, it's just background. It's just a background thing for this story of, in the first movie, an adventure story. and like, like it's, it's all just a background. It's not the point of the movie. And so with the... the what I find is with Star Wars, when you get into disagreements with people, you get you 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 generally, if you disagree with somebody, in a lot of the cases, it it's from a fan that just views Star Wars differently. Because to some people, Star Wars is all of the specifics and how things work, and to other people, it's that stuff cannot really matter as long as the character stuff works. So you know so. Parth, am I delusional, or does this entire movie lay the groundwork for a Finn Ray romance that is then immediately uh, abandoned? I think there's a lot of scenes where it feels like that, but I she, feel like the she, the moment she kisses him, Parth, did that mean nothing to you? On the forehead. On the forehead. I've kissed you many times on the forehead. And other places. Well, we don't... Let's we don't need to get into that. Talk about that on our own time. Anyways, uh, see you at seven. The moment at which there would logically be a kiss is when they reunite on the on Starkiller base, and when that doesn't happen, I go okay. So platonic. Also, I was expecting a kiss between Han and Leia. That, uh, but I'll settle for a hug. I thought that was tasteful. But I, yeah. I, I have to say, um, I found, uh, like, of course, nice to see Carrie Fisher again. Rest in peace. So I, I can't be too hard when the, when the actor is dead. But I thought, and it's not her fault because I'm about to criticize the script. I thought that all of her lines were, like, so preachy and that she overacted it a little bit. But I have to compliment the dynamic between her and Han because you could really sense, like, the depth of their, like, the history of their relationship, like, what brought them together, and, like, what eventually broke them up. I like seeing them together. I like their first interaction. I feel like, um, like, with the, like, different hair, like, different, uh, 
uh, your jacket's the same. Like, I feel like that stuff is good. But on the whole, I feel like, especially Harrison Ford's dialogue, for some reason, it was just the most expository, like, he is our son. I saw him, our son. He's too gone. And then Leia's, I want I want him back. Don't you understand? We were the ones that turned him to the dark side. I sent him off to Luke yeah, to train. I agree. But then that didn't work. It's like they never had this conversation before. Also, they keep referring to him only as our son, just so they can call him Ben in the third act. And you're like, oh, that's a character. That's the name of a character we know. Yeah. Like, I don't have an issue with that necessarily, but like the like, like I I'm generally fine with kind of shoddy exposition, but it was just so blatant this time that I was watching it. When it really grinds my gears. Let's hear it. Uh, how objects and, you know, knickknacks, essential items from earlier movies magically reappear with no explanation, like Vader's helmet, which was burnt to a crisp on Endor, probably, like, sold by an Ewok on the internet, and then um, Luke's lightsaber that, as we all know, got cut off at Cloud City and uh, would be when no one found that it's long gone and uh we just need to let go we can use new items it's fine i'm i'm sure that these new lights that the old lightsabers are very powerful and will trigger ray to have all sorts of dramatic nightmarish flashbacks but um and then han rightfully so is like hey maz like where'd you find this um and she's like oh i'll tell you later since we are conveniently under attack there's no time for this story that i can't answer yeah i mean that's another okay are you are you willing to look past this part okay i i realize i'm coming off as a lot as a very big apologist for for a lot of the conveniences that come about but You're, you're just very forgiving aren't you Okay, Here, here's the reason I'm okay with it, is because, again, the whole, like, meta thing. Like, if we're to take, like, if it's supposed to be these people living within the ruins and the, like, past of the original trilogy and continuing on from there, you're going to need some of the iconography of it, right? Mm. And I'm okay with... The, I'm, I'm okay with the Darth Vader helmet. I mean, it's weird that that would be there, but but again, like it's it's so much more visually affecting for you to see Darth Vader's burnt-up helmet than it would be if he was just talking to the Force or something like. So like, like a framed picture of him. Yeah, like like it, it's just gonna be like that's just a like humans. That will react more viscerally to a physical object than they will the abstract idea of him talking to forced Anakin. That's just Hollywood. That's just Hollywood, baby. Exactly. And so the 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 lightsaber is more egregious, but again, because it's it's Anakin's and then it's Luke's, but I'm okay with it even though it doesn't really make sense because it serves a story purpose, which is you you have um Finn trying to take on that, like, a, just when he gets it, and then Ray taking it on. So I'm okay because it, it furthers the thematic stuff the movie is trying to go for. Um, is it just me, or do you think that there would have been, like, 
mutinies or like strikes or like unionization among the employees of the first order is i feel like all they do is like commit genocide and i know that they're like taken from a young age and like manipulated but i feel like there has to be some sort of like unrest i I, well i guess there was like the nazis and there wasn't that many turncoats but wait parth did you see the obvious nazi parallels with uh with general when they when they raised their left arm oh and they put it in a certain position which reminds me of something star wars is pretty known for being pretty subtle so i'm 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 quite bothered that they made this so obvious um, this is kind of random, but I did research on the production history of this movie. Wait, Parth, tell us about the uh, production history of the movie. Quit wasting time. Just get into it. Okay, okay. Um, basically, 2012, um, Lucasfilm is acquired by um, Disney. They got bought for a bunch of money. For $4 billion. Whoa. Parth, do you have $4 billion? Every now and then. Really? Um, let's not get into that. Okay. Anyways, so basically George Lucas had treatments for... He had sequel story ideas and had treatments for episodes 7, 8, and 9, which he gave over to Disney, and then Disney... Shredded them. Looked at, the, looked at them and swiftly threw them into the trash can and then lit the trash can on fire. And then they put the trash can... Um, and they sent it into space. In a dumpster. So no one... Oh, in space. Yeah, oh no, it was one of those space dumpsters. Right. They had to space be dumpster space. fires, which are rare but known to happen. Okay, so the scripts are obliterated, then what happens? So basically they 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 went through a long process of trying to find the correct writer. There was a the first screenplay was written by a guy named Michael Arndt. Um and he worked on the movie for about eight months. Or so he's known for working on Little Miss Sunshine, Wally, Toy Story Three. What a track record! But his best and perhaps most well-regarded film would be Cars Two. Oh, uh, Parth, you didn't mention that he played a part in Cars Two. I wish you'd brought this up sooner. I know. Anyways, but basically they were trying to find the correct directors, and they cycled through a few people. They wanted they tried first um they contacted david fincher which i feel would have been an interesting i don't think he's the right person for star wars but yeah i think that would have been like the version of star wars like i want to see but i think they i i think they ended up going with jj abrams they're like oh wait you did star trek a few years ago that also takes place in space you are you're qualified well david fincher i'd like to see him take off like take on a like a spin-off or something yes but I don't think that would ever happen. I, I think that his style would be so out of line with whatever came before. With the safest, most commercially profitable product that Disney would want to put out. Correct. Anyways, so they cycled through a few people. Ben Affleck was one potential candidate. Uh, John Favreau, who recently did the Lion King remake, but um, also did the Jungle Book. Um, he's made the first two Iron Man movies, so he has a production history with uh, Disney, and also most recently did The Mandalorian. And the closest that they came to not J.J. Abrams was Brad Bird. From The Incredibles. Yes. And he 
could have gotten the job, but declined because he was working on the movie Tomorrowland. Oh, and well, good thing I haven't he, heard of that, but I have heard of Star Wars. It's, it's a flawed movie, but his thing was that it was an original movie, and he had spent time working on the script, and that movie was going to get the go-ahead, and Star Wars was going to get made anyways, so I can kind of understand that. Tomorrowland is then based on the Disney section? It is. Well, it's not based off of, but it, it, it that's part of the movie. Gotcha. Uh, it's kind of like a Pirates of Caribbean situation. Like, it's it's not, like, based off of it, but it is part of the... Does Johnny Depp make an appearance as uh, Captain Jack Sparrow? He is the main character. Oh, what a relief. I wouldn't think that he would be, like, so boundary-bending like that and appear in these completely unrelated... Uh, movies but it's good to know that he can cross cinematic universes because he's just so powerful exactly anyways he does suggest colin trevorrow who went on to do jurassic world and is now going to do the third jurassic world and was also supposed to do the third star wars sequel trilogy movie but that ended up not happening I thought it would have been interesting if they did three different directors, because when they did J.J. and then Brian Johnson, I was like, all right, who's next? But then it just felt like they were correcting their mistake by going back to J.J. Well, that's pretty much what it was, because, because like, Colin Trevorrow did a movie called The Book of Henry, which was very negatively reviewed. And... Sounds great to me. I like it already. And at that time, also... They had just come out with um, Solo, which was a flop. Mm. So I base, I'm pretty sure what they wanted for that, which I guess we can get into that when we talk about Rise of Skywalker, but they just wanted a safe director. But I was very pleased with J.J. Abrams because I'm a fan of the Star Trek reboot. He directed Mission Impossible 3, which jump-started my favorite action series. And I, I think he's... He's he is generally very good with characters and pacing, and I think what Star Wars needed at the moment was that. After coming off the heels of the prequel trilogy, so uh, and, and then another thing is they hired him as director, and then he was also going to be a co-writer uh, with La- uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who who directed uh, Empire, right? Uh, he he wrote. He co-wrote Empire. All right, I'll take um, it close enough. Co-wrote Empire and co-wrote um, Return of the Jedi. And so, basically, the Michael Arndt version of the script, nothing came of that. They basically threw that out, the garbage, because he said that he needed another year and a half to work on it. And they were like, well, we don't, time. we don't have time for that. So They're like, Christmas, we, we, this bitch has got to be out by Christmas. Well, it was originally scheduled for a May 25th release. Oh, a summer, a summer blockbuster, huh? Because because that was that was what all of the other Star Wars movies had been around that time. Yeah, and but so I, my entire lifetime, when, when when the temperature drops, I'm like, oh, it's Skywalker season, you know? Well, it, it ended up working out because they they only pushed it back because production wise they needed the time, but then it worked out because what blockbuster movies come out in december and so then star wars had like a monopoly on the like big blockbuster big budget action adventure movie scene and another thing 
another thing that's important to Disney is merchandising. So falling at the during the holiday season didn't seem like an accident to me because um, I think there are so many decisions made in the new trilogy. Like, for example, like 3PO's red arm and Porgs and BB-8. I think that um, de- definitely making them into plush toys or changing characters slightly so people can get the latest model is definitely fueled by the thought of, of toy sales. Yep. Um, I was just going to ask you, what do you think of J.J. Abrams' directing style? Um, I thought it was somewhat, like, 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 understate. I I don't want to say absent, because I liked the movie a lot, and I thought that, I I just feel like when you put, I just read the budget of this movie, and it was uh, nearly $500 million, and um well including marketing yes yeah yeah. it it said that after production it was like 250 million or something like a lot of money 245 million and then twice that for marketing sure um i feel like when you sink that much money into a movie it often just feels like colorful cgi and like it's so expensive that like to a certain degree it like has to look good um and obviously you're paying so many different people so much money to like make these things digestible that it's kind of inexcusable if it looks bad. So I kind of just take it as a given that things are going to like look nice. And I, I think it's, it satisfies that. But when I'm watching star Wars, the last thing I'm thinking about is the direction compared to other movies, maybe because I'm so focused on like the characters and, and the world that I don't really think about like, the camera angles or or like camera angles or movement or or mise-en-scene stuff like that what about you part you probably you probably have an opinion on this. i do um i think it's Share. what the, the franchise at the time needed because if you if you obviously visually this is more in line with the original trilogy than it is the prequel trilogy fair but but if you even even beyond that, which I think is another issue with the movie, which is that I think the production design is too slavishly like we need to make this look like the original trilogy. Well, I like, I, I think that they're returning to like basics and like using practical effects again, which I applaud it for because the prequels were crucified for in the early 2000s with the technology available for things looking so bad and like in well, it was but then but then i don't have a problem with like i really like that they use practical effects but but it's like the design of the ships is just exactly the same as it is like they don't use it like it, they just use x-wings and they just use tie fighters and they just use star destroyers it's exactly the same as the as the death star well and it, i just feel like it's the greatest hits parth like they, they they take out Y wings because no one cares about them. It is the it is the greatest hits album. Mm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, and then uh, but like to get back to the direct direction, like I think get us back on track, Parth. This this was the point where J J Abrams kind of like honed in his directing 
talent, I think, because if you watch Mission Impossible 3, there's it is almost entirely filmed in close-ups because he's used to television. Because mm. uh, he, he did Lost, he did Alias, he did Fringe, he did... Um, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was uh, Felicity. Um, Way to go. And And so he was a very... He was a TV director, so they use a lot of close-ups on that. And so it's it's very chaotic, and the, the editing is very quick cut in Mission Impossible 3. And it that, that problem kind of lessens and lessens with each of his movies. Like Then Star Trek 2009, is it's still very quick cut and very close up, but it's a little bit less of that. And by this point, I think he had kind of figured out what level to do because it feels it feels very much visually in line with the other movies but it's still like there's a lot of like dynamic camera movements and um the the editing is much more fast-paced than even the original trilogy yeah, like I, I was gonna say like every sh- shot feels like it's moving and it's very wide to the point where on the few occasions where there are like intimate conversations between two characters and you're supposed to really be paying attention and feeling the dramatic tension um and just them using like shot reverse shot and just like close-ups for a change it's like striking like just in terms of like the variance or the contrast from the rest of the movie yeah with the conversation scenes i just felt like i felt like um there could have been some more interest i mean at all of the conversation scenes are pretty much all shot in close-ups and it's all shot reverse shot but like you said like all of the other stuff is pretty much all shot with like dollies and and cranes and like all these like crazy like whip pans and things like that so it's i think it's it, it does provide a nice variance in image um what 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 did what did you think of john williams's his score I read that he got his 50th Oscar nomination for this movie. Um, Did he? And I think that Ray's theme um, is like the best piece of music to come out of uh, like this new trilogy. I also think that Kylo's theme is like a better version of the Imperial March. I know that that's a bold statement. Um, But other, I mean, they play the Force theme at least 75 times um mm. so i i feel to a certain degree they like they have so much already made music in their back pocket um that like nothing can help itself from sounding like something you've heard before but i guess it's not really their fault because it's one conductor making music right. for 10 plus movies in the same universe yeah it doesn't like draw attention to itself but i think that says a lot because it just allows you to like really enjoy the universe yeah i think i I would agree with you on ray's theme um although i i i like kylo ren's theme i i wouldn't say it's an improvement on the imperial march but there's some fun themes there's the there's the resistance march of the resistance which is all right (laughs) um but yeah other than that the the race theme they get a lot out of that um but other than that it is kind of remember the force 
mm-hmm. theme. Remember the Han Solo's theme. Sure. Remember Leia's theme. So there's a lot of that. But again, I'm fine with it because it's your first movie, and the the whole point of this movie is to just create new characters and set them on an exciting path. All right, Parth, you want to hear some final qualms I have? Let's hear it. There's the most obvious one, where, and this is a mistake Star Wars never fails to make, in that with 40 minutes remaining in the movie, uh, there's the announcement within the Starkiller base, and they're like, 15 minutes until we have enough power to launch, uh, or like to, uh, to use the, the machine again to blow up more planets. And I really want one movie to actually like match up the runtime of like a, a occurring in in movie time of if they said like oh I know it's less dramatic but if they said we'll be ready in twenty six minutes I would at least compliment the movie for like being precise because they do it again where they're like two minutes to launch and then and then there's like a fifteen minute fight sequence between Ray and Kylo. And that it, I, I know that that's a technicality, but it's just frustrating. Well, uh, there's kind of a fun story. Um, hey, part well, it's not really tell a me story, the fun but, story. Well, like basically, for since our viewers have no idea or listeners, I suppose, have no idea who I am, um, I should say that I am a big Tom Cruise fan and I am a big Mission Impossible fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've listened to a lot of behind the scenes stuff on that. And for Mission Impossible Fallout, the climax of the movie takes place in 15 minutes. Or in movie time, 15 minutes. There's a bomb that's going to set off in 15 minutes. And so the like climax of the movie takes like half an hour, basically. Um, and director, writer-director Christopher McQuarrie for that movie said, basically, like, we did versions of it where you we made it accurate. Or like we said, like, half an hour. Or whatever and basically what you get with that is that they did versions because they did test audiences and whatnot so they did a version of it which was accurate and a version of it which was 15 minutes and basically what they found is that when you make it accurate if it's actually going to be 30 minutes or 40 minutes the audience basically goes oh my god there's another 40 minutes of movie yeah and 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 they start to like feel tired whereas if you say 15 minutes, the audience is going to They're intellectually know. They're like, oh, all, all, these, all these pieces are about to fit together so nicely. They've got to wrap all, up the, all these loose ends up in 15 minutes. How are they going to pull that off? They know like intellectually, hmm, this has been way more than 15 minutes. But because you've kept them on the edge, they're all right with it. So I, I don't really... I used to take issue with that, and now it really doesn't matter to me. I think it's kind of funny how, like, every time the Rebellion or the Resistance attack, uh, they come back, like, they come back, like, the winners, but there are always, like, so few survivors. Like, when they're coming away from the exploding Starkiller base, it's the Millennium Falcon and five X-Wings. Like, that is all that's left of their army. So even though they just won this battle, like, the losses were tremendous. And if, like, they would have really a hard time defending themselves from this point on. So it, it, 
it really seems like there must be a high turnover rate because pretty much like 90% of the uh, of the soldiers die at every battle. I agree. Is R2 going to low power mode for no fucking reason piss you off? It that was the one thing where I cannot really excuse it. Like but, but he's sad that Luke left, but he's a he's a robot part. I think that's the biggest one of the bigger examples of they expected that to get explained by the the future writer directors and it never did. It's just them like pushing off the responsibility of like this the this like burden of exposition. And I don't understand why they did that. The point of it is that they only have a partial amount of the map, right? Mm-hmm. And they can't access it until R2 wakes up. Yeah. So then, but but it doesn't make sense because they wouldn't have been able to go to Luke anyways. Like, like the, the, the Starkiller base stuff was all happening, so they wouldn't have had time to go to Luke and get him to come. So I don't understand why you have that structural thing of, oh, he's in low power mode, and then actually he's not. Because it doesn't actually add anything, and it wouldn't take away anything if you took it out. Also, nothing, like, activates him to wake up besides, like, the screenwriter being like, oh, like, it's the end of the movie. Until it was convenient to the movie's plot that it needed to be, that he needed to be turned on. Also, Luke, who wants to go into hiding because he's, like, renounced, like, the Jedi way and had, doesn't want to be found, he return because he's training Kylo and company, and then, and then like Kylo turns against him, and then he's like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give give up the the Jedi way." Um, but he leaves a map to locate him in two separate parts, bro. Like, just don't, just just leave, and no one will find you if that's what you want. I never thought about that. <laughs> Who made the map? <laughs> well, and he would have had well, to, like, return and, like, drop it off with R2. And then the other piece of the map is just the old man at the beginning of the movie who said he found it. And he doesn't explain how. And we don't know who this old white guy is. And ugh. and also, this is tangential, but when Kylo... At the beginning of the movie, Kylo captures Poe, and he's like, oh, you know where the map is, so I'm going to capture you. Um, but he just, like, offs that old white guy, when I'm sure that he, he was the one who had the flash drive. Maybe he could have been useful, but instead you, uh, I don't know, like, obliterate his body. And, and True. Any, uh... Although, I, I don't know if they were trying to do, like, he kills him in anger because he mentions Han Solo to him. Fair. Oh, yeah, I guess that's prob good point, Parth. Way to go. What can I say? I'm just really smart. I know, and handsome. Um, well, you too, Trent. Alright, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Now, now that we've resorted to compliments. Uh, it says that... Someone mentions that Snoke is the one that seduces Kylo to the dark side, and do you think he did that? Is they never come in contact, so did they just do the thing introduced later with like the, uh, like the the mind communication, and 
Wait, what? Okay, Leia says to Han, is Han and Leia are like pointed fingers at who 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 should accept responsibility for or whose fault it is that their son turned out to, you know, be evil. Yeah. And Leia's like, hey, don't uh like don't worry. It was Snoke who seduced Kylo. And I'm wondering how we went about that. Because it, once again, it's not not explained. Um, yeah, I don't think that's a problem with this movie because it that isn't like revealed in this or not even revealed. It's not meant to be a mystery. I don't I don't think, but like, it's not something that this movie's really dealing with. I think it's more of a flaw with its sequel. Yeah. What do you think of Snoke? Uh, I thought that he was really big, and like that was exciting. Is I was like, well, we've never, we've never had a huge villain before, um, but and then as the planet is collapsing, and uh, you're like, oh, he's just, uh, he's just a, a, a telegram. It's really funny because I remember in theaters, everybody was like, holy shit, he's huge, he's ginormous, and and then when it, it's like the hologram goes away. Everybody was like, oh, okay. Like, you could hear everybody be like, oh. Like it was too good to be true. He couldn't have been that big. Could you imagine, though, if they if he was just that big? That, like, I really wonder what they would have done. But, um, like, when that planet blows up, you do not see... Um, you don't see Kylo escape. You don't see Hux escape. But it blows up as soon as, like, the Millennium Falcon and company get out of distance. Um, so I, I, I think they needed one shot of, like, the essential staff evacuating. But just them not having that, you're not left to believe that they're dead. Because obviously there are going to be follow-up movies. And who else, who, who else are our protagonists going to face? Who are antagonists that, that, if they don't? Yeah. Do you, have, do you have any any closing thoughts? Um, well, I guess we should just review, give give a succinct review of what we think of the movie. Do we want to like rank it, like a number rating, like one out of ten? Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, would you like to go first? <sighs> okay. Seven. Okay, for an episode seven. Oh, I. Pfft. A complete act, total coincidence. This wasn't planned, unrehearsed, unscripted, just genuine improvisation. <laughs> now you go. Um, I think. Think about probably it. take like a seven, seven to an eight. I like this movie a lot more than most people like this movie. I, I this was definitely my most enjoyable viewing in a while. Um, I really like there isn't much fluff. Like every scene like has a purpose. My, minus really like the the Raftar stuff. But I, that oh I wanted to speak about that. That's the only action beat that I feel like every time that I watch this movie I'm like this didn't need this. Yeah, but um, I like every movie up to this point has like one scene where it's like oh. There's a monster on the loose. Uh, like, yeah. N- New Hope, you've got, like, the trash compactor. Empire got the the, uh, the the Yeti. 
and then it, well they also also when han and leia are in oh and, the caves and things yeah and they're in the giant space worm and then uh in, in return of the jedi you have both the uh, the sarlacc pit and the big what's that monster called in jabba's palace uh start start with an r raptor or rap nope mm. Um, we don't know. I know this. We I don't this. remember. I don't remember. Is it named Peter? Yeah. Wait, let me search it up. Um, Ask Google. Uh, oh god. This is so stressful. Rancor. Oh, I, I mean, I was uh, yeah, we were we were kind of right. Um, you, you but said yeah, Raptor, which is close, and I said something with an R. So, we basically got so it. We, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that 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 was the one like unnecessary scene, but I was forgiving because I was like, hey, the movies I like have things that aren't particularly yeah. uh, like uh, obligatory. But um, I think seven is a good is a good place for this movie where I enjoyed it. Um, not by no means my favorite Star Wars, but um, I, I think it's it's the best of the new trilogy. I, I will go on the record as saying that I'm saying this into a recording device, and I'm not ashamed. I suppose this is a segue for our end, but. Um... I really like this. I really, really like this movie. I, I would even say I love this movie. Um, I don't think I like it as much as I used to. I used to re- like it. Used to be my favorite. Upon this rewatch, I'm. But that's I kind of that's, find that's 2015 par. Yeah, what well, I mean, like you don't even, even recognize as, him today. As long ago as like a year ago, like I used to say, like you know, that is my favorite Star Wars movie. But like. Now, Reese's heart is no longer blinded by the light. Exactly. The familiarity stuff, I understand why it's there, but I can't not overlook it. So, I can't overlook it now. Um, but it's I would give it a 7 to an 8. And Parth, just... My, my say, favorite say film, a, my favorite... Say a 7.5. Okay. <laughs> I give it a seven and episode seven and a half. Oh, uh, see what you did there. But if we want to talk about my favorite film in the sequel trilogy, you're gonna to have to tune into next week's episode. Oh, Parth, Parth. Good, good segue on on our show. Craft services. There you go. Okay, bye, Parth. Bye, Trent. <laughs>